Father, you are good and you are uh, worthy of all praise and honor and glory. You have done wonderful things, mighty things, miraculous things, Lord. And so now as we come to you and we come to your word, as we open your word, Lord, speak Holy Spirit through each one of these uh, words that I proclaim here today, Lord. We pray that you would speak to our hearts, reveal yourself uh, for who you are, Lord, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, and our mighty fortress and refuge, as we read from Isaiah 25, that you are our shelter in times of storm, in times of desert heat, and, and uh, all sorts of suffering and persecution all around us, Lord. The nations will rage, but you are the one who is sovereign and in control of history. And so we praise you. We ask that uh, you would be glorified and honored here in this place um, uh, through your people here as we hear your word proclaimed. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, um, not what you were expecting here, right, today to see. Uh, you get the Jeff show again today, but that is all right. We are ready to, we are ready to move forward here as, as God's people. Oh, thank you, thank you. Um, yes, I want to start off with a question to you all this morning. Uh, I want to ask you, have you ever done uh, the right thing? Let's say you're doing something nice for somebody or just doing, you know, the, the right thing. And then all of a sudden it backfired on you. Have you ever had that situation? Let's say maybe, you know, your coworker is kind of stressed out. They've got a lot of stuff on their plate. So you're being the nice person you are. You want to help them out. So you do maybe one of their tasks that you know how to do. And so you do it for them. And you're like, all right, so that, that's one less thing that they have to do. But then they come back and they're all upset because they had a certain way they like doing it. And now they're all mad at you. So has that ever, you know, you can think of something like that where that's happened to you. You've done something nice and it's kind of backfired on you. Or maybe someone's brought some sort of suffering into your world <laughs> because of something nice that you've done. And so then what's our reaction usually when that happens? It's, oh, that's the last time I'm doing something nice for that person, right? That's usually how, or maybe that's not fair, right? We say that's not fair. Now normally when you're doing something right, uh, that isn't going to happen, right? Usually when we live rightly, things usually go well. Usually things work out for us. You know, we hear the phrase so often, what goes around comes around, or uh, there's another one, maybe some of you remember the phrase, one good turn deserves another, right? And that, <laughs> yes, that's right. Uh, and that's where we're going to begin in our scripture passage here this morning. So if you would, would you uh, open your Bibles with me to 1 Peter. We're going to be in 1 Peter today. In the New Testament, all the way to the end almost. 1 Peter, we're going to be in chapter 3. All right, we're going to start in verse 13. And this very idea is what Peter, and the words will be up here as well on the screen if you uh, would like to look up there. This is where Peter's starting this idea here. He says, now who will want to harm you? If you are eager to do good, who would want to harm you if you're eager to, to do what's right, to do good? And the answer normally is no one, right? No one's going to want to harm you for doing what's, what's good, what's right. But Peter's not really talking about just kind of being nice here, okay? He's, he's talking about living a life that's obedient to God, living according to biblical principles, okay? We could say also um, that those who follow biblical principles in life, will get the most out of life, right? Both, both in this life and in the life to come. You can say that God's obeying God's word, it really does spare us from much unneeded suffering. And the, this principle is very 
evident, I think, throughout scriptures. I think the book of Proverbs kind of constantly is referring to, to blessings that normally result from godliness and wisdom and righteous living. And yet, Peter is going to point out to us here that uh, yet we are not guaranteed that godliness will spare us from all suffering. Okay, so he begins with, you know, who will want to harm you if you're eager to do good? But that doesn't necessarily mean that we're going to just have a, a carefree, suffering-free life, right? Righteous living is not always received with, with gratitude and, and good deeds in return, is it, from everyone? So Peter's not speaking in this passage about uh, the favorable responses that, that we might receive in response to godliness. Instead, he's going to be touching on here the unpleasant responses of, of persecution even and false accusations and uh, mocking you when, when you're living in this right way. And so you can kind of see living uh, the Christian life is sort of like defensive driving, okay? So if you, you know, you, you're watching, you're, you're doing thing, everything that you should be doing, right? But it may, it may keep us from having a whole bunch of accidents, but defensive driving doesn't necessarily mean you're never going to have an accident, right? So living the Christian life is, is sort of like that. Suffering and, and persecution uh, is pretty much an inevitable thing if we are following Jesus, and we're going to uh, get into that today. So now, when we think of suffering, and when we think of uh, persecuted, being persecuted for the faith, usually our, our minds go to, to far-off places like China and North Korea or uh, Muslim authoritarian countries uh, in Africa or the Middle East, right? Um, I was doing some kind of looking around the internet. Past year, in 2021, there was this world list that was kind of compiled, compiled by the, the Christian advocacy group Open Doors, and they put this list together talking about um, persecution of, of Christians. And what they came up with here, in 2021, more than 340 million Christians, that's one in eight throughout the whole world, one in eight Christians face high levels of discrimination and persecution because of their faith. In this past year alone, there was a 60% increase in the number of Christians that were killed for their faith. Just over 4,700 Christians were, were killed for their faith this past year. Nine out of ten of those coming from Africa. So even though that, you know, that, that seems so far removed, that seems like it's a whole other side of the world to us, Right? But even though that seems so far removed from our experience, I believe that we all here in, in America and what we see even happening in, in Canada over the past, you know, uh, this past summer where 50-something churches were burned to the ground, I think there's a lot that we can see here of an increasingly hostile climate to, uh, to Christians and how the world around us is getting more antagonistic toward believers uh, even here in, in the country we live in here. And so Peter addresses the, is going to address the possibility of suffering for righteousness, and he's going to lay out in this passage principles that should guide us in our response to persecution so that we can have hope as we're going through it and so that the gospel is proclaimed and God is glorified and we are truly blessed in the midst of suffering persecution. So let's take a look at uh, verse 14 here, if you will. So he says, you know, who's going to want to harm you for, if you're eager to, to do good? But then he says, but even if you suffer 
for doing what is right. God will reward you for it. Even if you suffer for doing what is right, God will reward you for it. So he's recognizing here the possibility that that we may suffer for doing what is right, for following Christ. And he knows that some of his readers, when he's writing this letter, they were being persecuted for, for living in a righteous manner. And so we really shouldn't be surprised, right, when, when this happens to us. Remember what Jesus himself said in John chapter 15. He says, if the world hates you, remember that it hated me first. The world would love you as one of its own if you belong to it, but you are no longer part of the world. I chose you to come out of the world so it hates you. And he says, since they persecuted me naturally, they will persecute you. And if they had listened to me, they would listen to you. They will do all this to you because of me, for they have rejected the one who sent me. So Jesus, the most righteous person who ever lived, right? He ever, he ever walked on this earth and this hostile world opposed him at every turn and eventually killed him, right? And Jesus makes it clear that believers cannot presume to escape this world without suffering and without persecution. We should expect it and we should expect to endure it. Okay, so the big question today is then, how can I be ready, how can I be prepared for when suffering or when persecution comes into my life? And Peter's really going to give us some encouraging words here that uh, should really prepare us to really give us great hope when we find ourselves under the weight of of suffering and and persecution for our faith in Christ. So here we have uh, our first of, I was trying to think of a, you know, you always have to think of alliteration here, like, Peter's principles of hope in suffering. Peter's principles. Number one, here we are. If we are to be blessed in suffering, we must suffer for the sake of righteousness and not for sin. Okay? If we're going to be blessed, as God says, in suffering, we have to make sure that it's for the right thing. Right? We shouldn't be suffering for sinful choices we make, rather for the sake of, of righteousness. Okay? So remember, verse 14, he says, But even if you suffer for doing what is right... God will reward you for it. Other translations say, if you suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Are you, you're blessed when you're suffering for righteousness. Now, now, suffering can come, you know, into our lives for all sorts of reasons, right? Sometimes it's some bad choices that we make and we suffer consequences for that. Sometimes it's not. But earlier in, in his letter here in, in chapter 2, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 20, Peter reinforces this idea. He says, In verse 20, of course, you get no credit for being patient if you are beaten for doing wrong. But if you suffer for doing good and endure it patiently, God is pleased with you. So we have the blessing of God being pleased with those who are are enduring suffering patiently, enduring this righteous suffering for the sake of following him, for the sake of following Christ. And Jesus spoke the same way in in his Sermon on the Mount. I think many of you would remember uh, when he talks about those Uh, the reward that awaits those who suffer for righteousness. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said, God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. Be happy about it. Be very glad for a great reward awaits you in heaven. 
So all believers can have this sense of, of privilege and honor by suffering for following Jesus. It's, it's the Christian's uh, badge of honor that we wear. It's a, a blessing to suffer for the sake of Christ. And Jesus said that we have a great reward waiting for us in heaven. I think we're also rewarded here, though, on, on this earth. We're not just, we just have a reward waiting for us, but there is a reward uh, in the here and now. We're blessed with growth and maturity in our faith. Look what James uh, says in chapter 1, of, uh, yeah, James chapter 1, verse 2. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow, for when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. So like Peter here, James calls us to this heavenly perspective of suffering and persecution. James says God rewards those who who suffer for their faith with a, a stronger, with a greater faith. We'll come out the other side of that trial more like Jesus. That's the reward. So if we are to be blessed in suffering, we, we got to make sure that it's for suffering for following Christ, not for uh, sin, sinful choices that we make. We're not going to be rewarded or blessed if we're, if we're suffering for the sinful choices that we make. And Peter reiterates this idea in, in verse 17, uh, 1 Peter three seventeen. He says, remember, it is better to suffer for doing good if that is what God wants than to suffer for doing wrong. All right, so that's our first principle there. Here's our second one. Number two, we should make the most of suffering by using it as an opportunity to proclaim the gospel. So we should make every opportunity that, that we have here in, in good times, in times of persecution and suffering as an opportunity to proclaim the gospel. Let's keep reading here at the end of verse 14. He says, so don't worry or don't be afraid of their threats. Don't worry, don't be afraid of the threats of those who are ridiculing you. Peter says, when you do suffer for your faith, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of what people say or, or what people do to you. But the fact is, you know, many of us, we have a very real fear of man in our hearts, don't we? It begins very early on, even in elementary school, right? You, you know, these people won't like me if I don't act like them or if I don't do the things that they're doing. And it intensifies through adolescence and high school and, and even into, into adulthood. You know, I can't share my faith with my friends or my neighbors because they might reject me or they might make fun of me. And in this verse, Peter is referring to uh, Isaiah chapter 8 where God is warning the prophet Isaiah not to give in, not to collapse to the opposition of the message that God gave him to proclaim. And Peter is using these words to to remind us, just like the, all the Old Testament prophets, that we too should not be frightened, we should not be intimidated by the opposition that we receive from those around us. We are to faithfully proclaim and live out the truths of, of God's word, even before a, a hostile world that is in opposition to God's word. So collapsing under the, the pressure of persecution is a very real danger that, that Peter sees here. And so... Uh, he, he's kind of thinking about how Jesus even warned uh, his followers of collapsing under the pressure of, of persecution. When Jesus was talking about uh, this in Matthew 24, verses 9 and 10, Jesus talks to his followers. He says, then you will be arrested and persecuted and killed. You will be hated all over the world because you are my followers. And many will turn away from me and betray 
and hate each other. So he says, Jesus says, it's possible that many of my followers, they're going to turn away. They're going to collapse under the, the pressure of, of persecution. And so Peter's concerned here for his readers. You know, when things get tough, they're going to be tempted to, to be silent or to water down the, their witness for Christ or even to turn away from it completely. You know, we're seeing even many uh, well-known Christian leaders even today turning away from the faith. You know, we read it in, in the news and they're publicly renouncing Christ. And Peter, who better than Peter to understand, you know, collapsing under the pressure of, of fear of persecution, right? When, when he was afraid of being arrested and, and, you know, when Jesus was being put on trial there, he, he denied the Lord. And so he's saying here, times of persecution and are, are opportunities for us to bear witness to the Savior. We dare not deny him. We dare not remain silent or even dilute the message of the gospel. And this really leads us right into the, the third principle here. In suffering, we must settle the question of whom we serve. So we're not afraid of our persecutors. We're not to be intimidated by them. Instead, look what Peter says here in verse 15. Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. Other translations say, sanctify Christ in your hearts. What does that mean? What does it mean to sanctify something? And it may not be popular as much nowadays, but people used to have fine china in their home. Raise your hand if you have some, like some dinnerware, some fine china in your home. We have a, a set we got from our, our wedding, right? And it was to be used for everyday use, right? No, 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 no. Only special occasion. I can remember it being said in my house that the china was only used for when the queen came to visit. And we're still waiting on her to come visit our house. As a kid, if you went downstairs to get a bowl of cereal, let's say, and your mom caught you using a bowl of the fine china to eat your cereal with, what was going to happen? You better get ready for some trouble, right? Get ready for some trouble. Those bowls, those plates of fine china, they were special, right? They were, they were set apart from the rest of the dinnerware. And so it is with Christ. Now, all illustrations break down. Jesus is better than a, a bowl that, <laughs> that we use for f fancy settings. But to sanctify Christ, to worship him as, as Lord of your life, is to, to regard him as unique, as one of a kind, without rival in purity and in goodness, He's the person that you treasure the most. You know, we sing that song, how rich a treasure we possess in Jesus Christ, our Lord. His blood, our ransom and defense. His glory, our reward. The sum of all created things is worthless in compare. For our inheritance is him whose praise angels declare. I love that song. Jesus is the treasure of priceless worth. He's worthy of worship. He's worthy to suffer for. And so when persecution arises because of, of living for Christ, we, we often experience strong pressure, right, to, to renounce or revise the message of the gospel to make it more politically correct. But, you know, we're seeing this all over our, our cancel culture landscape of today, right? And our response to the pressure reflects whom we most fear. We either fear God or we fear man, right? Jesus put it this way in, in Matthew chapter 10. He says, students are not greater than their teacher and slaves are not greater than their master. 
And since I, the master of the household, have been called the prince of demons, the members of my household will be called by even worse names. But don't be afraid of those who threaten you. Don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. They cannot touch your soul. Fear only God who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Everyone who acknowledges me publicly here on earth, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But everyone who denies me here on earth, I will also deny before my Father in heaven. So if we fear those who want to kill us, we're going to be shaken, we're going to be silenced by their opposition. But if we fear God, we will not be shaken, we will not be silenced, but we will remain faithful in proclaiming the gospel with our, our lives. So persecution, you can see how it really does force us to settle the question of whom we fear. Do we fear God or do we fear man? And I remember uh, this big story in the news that, that, ha- that came out in, um, it was a while ago, 1999, uh, about this Australian Christian man named Graham Staines. There's a picture of him and uh, his family there. Graham uh, was a, a missionary in India along with his wife Gladys and their three children. And the Staines family, they treated people in Orissa, India uh, who had leprosy. And they treated them uh, medically. They, they shared the gospel with them and, and with so many others while they were there. And one night, Graham and his two sons, Philip and Timothy, they were uh, 10 and 6 years old at the time. And they went to a, a Christian camp in the jungle there to reach the, the tribal people with, with the gospel. And Graham and his boys were, were sleeping in their Jeep that night when a crowd of militant Hindus came and burned them alive in their, in their vehicle. And so there's a picture of uh, their vehicle there. And so here was a man and his two sons who, no matter the cost, right, they worshiped Christ as Lord of their lives. Graham and his family lived in a country where Christianity was heavily opposed. And yet they lived fearlessly like only Christ mattered. No matter what happened to them, they did not live in fear. And they had this matter already settled in their heart that they would fear God and serve him only, no matter the cost, because they had great hope in their Savior. And so they used times of, of opposition and persecution and even in their death to proclaim the gospel. And so here's our next principle here. We must be ready to respond. Not only are we going to use opportunities of persecution to, to proclaim the gospel, but we have to be ready to, to be able to do that, right? So where we worship Christ as Lord of our life, and let's pick up back up here at the end of verse 15. Peter says, if someone asks about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. If someone asks about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. But, and I think this is a very important part for us, but do this in a gentle and respectful way. So we are always to be ready to give an answer concerning the hope that is in us. You know, suffering and persecution, they really do highlight the hope of the Christian, right? It's, it's the hope of an eternal inheritance waiting for us. It's, it's a hope that we have in Christ, our Savior, by faith. And it's proved, that faith is proven through adversity. As unbelievers around you uh, observe your faith and observe the hope that you have amidst suffering and even persecution, they may notice that there's something different about you. You know, what, what makes you different? Tell me, tell me why you have hope. Why are you so joyful while going through 
cancer treatments? Why are you still kind to people in your office when they're giving you a hard time for, for being a Christian? You know, for many unbelievers, we are the, the closest thing to a Bible or, or a church that they will ever see. So we got to be ready to tell them about the hope that is within us, the, the message of the gospel. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that we just kind of have this canned, wrote presentation of the gospel, right? That we just apply to everyone who comes and, and asks us. And I know, like, growing up, I learned... You know, we, we kind of learn evangelism techniques like the, the Romans road where you can take someone through Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 5, but God demonstrated his love for us that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. And you can take them through the whole message of the gospel just there in Romans. Or, you know, uh, Pastor Aaron talked about last week uh, his, uh, what, what is it called? Evangelism explosion, right? Where you go out and you ask someone, you know, if you were to die tonight... And God, you came before God and he asked you, why should I let you into heaven? What would you say? And they may say, well, I'm a good person. And then you tell them how, you know, well, do you, have you ever lied? Yes. Have you ever stolen something? Well, yes. So you're a, a lying thief. Why would God let you into heaven? You know, and then you can start the conversation from there. But it's not necessarily, we need those. Those are good starting points there, I think. Those are great to, to have in our back pocket. But that's not really the the type of evangelism that you see throughout the New Testament, is it? You, you see people like, like Jesus and Paul and Peter just in normal conversations with people relaying how the gospel applies to where they are in their situation. And so the challenge to us then is we are to know the gospel so well inside and out that we can relay it to anybody's situation wherever they are and is I mean that's a challenge right that is a, a challenge of course it is but you know what other subject is more important that we should know so we should study it we need to know the gospel how it applies to our lives in every circumstance the hope of the gospel is always the always the same and even though our our method of explaining it will vary from from person to person okay so Peter's reminding us to always share the hope that we have. But he says you got to do it in a gentle and respectful way. So often we like to argue and debate people into the kingdom, <laughs> don't we? Usually because we, sometimes, we want to show them that we're right and they're wrong. And it's very easy to do that now that we have this protection of the wall and fortress of social media where we're not really speaking to their faces, but we can just kind of comment on their you know, theologically wrong thing and we can set them straight. But that's not what Peter's saying here. That doesn't really work out well for us usually, does it? We are to be gentle. We're to be respectful, proclaiming the gospel with grace and with love. But we are also to present it with, with truth, right? There's a truth and love balance that uh, is so uh, biblical in how we are to do things. And so here's our final principle here. We are to maintain a good conscience, so we're here to share the gospel, use every opportunity to proclaim it. We are to be ready and prepared to do that. And we need to maintain a good conscience. Look at verse 16. Peter says, keep your conscience clear. Then if people speak against you, they will be ashamed when they see what a good life you live because you belong to Christ. So Peter's basically saying here, don't give anyone a reason to smear the name of Jesus because how you are living and how you're representing him. That's what he's saying here. He says, godly conduct often puts sinners to shame. But when godly conduct, conduct 
does put sinners to shame, it often results in persecution because people don't like to feel ashamed, right? And so they'll, they'll take it out on you. So Peter is urging us not to, to compromise our good conscience before God. And he understood that very well, what he was saying, right? How painful that, that memory of, of de- denying the Lord must have been for him. And he tried to, you know, he was trying to avoid being arrested and he denied he even knew Jesus. But when he wrote this letter, Peter was a new man. He, he, uh, he had his conscience cleansed, he was forgiven, he learned from his mistakes, and now he's urging us to, to do likewise. And so let's say someone in your office or maybe in your school uh, it's giving you a hard time because, uh, or maybe they're spreading rumors about you because you're one of those Christians. And I think... Uh, according to Peter here, you would do well to, to continue to treat that person with, with kindness, right? Not to lash out at them, not to uh, bite back at them or spread rumors about them around the office, but to continue to live with a clear conscience before God so that they would be ashamed of how they are treating you. And their shame is not the end goal. It's not we're like, oh, well, I'm going to kill them with kindness. Excellent. <laughs> no. Shame is not the end goal, but rather that they would be attracted to Christ that lives in you, right? That's the goal, the hope, that they would see the hope that lives within you. And it's possible that even later on, maybe, you know, they're going through something in their life. They're going through some sort of, of suffering or on, of their own, and maybe they ask you, you know, about the hope that's in you. So we keep our conscience clear, and that leaves the door open for later opportunities, and this whole passage here, Peter is, is really urging us to live in the present with a, a heavenly perspective, to get up out of our, our circumstances. We see our present circumstances through the lens of, of eternity. As Christians, we, we should be willing to, to suffer for our faith, knowing that untold spiritual blessings are ours now and awaiting for us in eternity. And we can view suffering in the light of the suffering of Jesus, right? He is the one who is our great hope. Here's how Peter kind of ends this passage here in verse 18. He says, Christ suffered for our sins once for all time. He never sinned, but he died for sinners to bring you safely home to God. He suffered physical death, but he was raised to life in the spirit. This is our great hope, right church? Jesus is the one who, who suffered and died to lead us to God. He, the righteous and sinless one, suffered and died for us, the unrighteous. And because he suffered and died for us, we should adopt that same attitude that he had towards suffering. He promised us, remember, he promised his followers that we would share in his suffering, which has been true throughout the centuries. Ever since he said that, Christians have suffered persecution greatly at the hands of a hostile world. It's still happening right now all over the world. But even though Jesus suffered and died, He didn't stay dead. He was raised to life. He defeated death and he conquered the grave to bring sinners safely home to God. And we're about to sing this song uh, that I'm about to quote here, but I just love this last verse. I wanted to highlight it for you all. The song's Christ our hope in life and death. The third verse says, unto the grave, what will we sing? Christ he lives. Christ he lives. What reward will heaven bring? Everlasting life with him. Then we will rise to meet the Lord. Then sin and death will be destroyed and we will feast in endless joy 
when Christ is ours forevermore. That's amazing. And then our response, oh, sing, hallelujah. (laughs) Our hope springs eternal. Oh, sing, hallelujah. Now and ever we confess Christ, our hope in life and death. What hope we have in Christ, even in the midst of suffering, even in the midst of, of being persecuted for the faith. After um, the death of Graham Staines and his two boys, many people were really surprised when his wife, Gladys, decided to stay in India. She didn't come back home. Um, She explained her decision this way. She said, My husband and our children have sacrificed their lives for this nation. India is my home. I hope to be here and continue to serve the needy. And... Uh, When asked how she felt about the murder of her dad, Graham's 13-year-old daughter, Esther, said this, I praise the Lord that he found my father worthy to die for him. It's very profound from a 13-year-old. I praise the Lord that he found my father worthy to die for him. And at the funeral, uh, Gladys publicly forgave those who had murdered her family, and she sang the song, Because He Lives, proclaiming, Uh, her great hope in her Savior. Can we sing that song together? We know the song, most of you know it. Sing along. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. All fear is gone. Because I know He holds the future, and life is worth the living just because he lives. Amen. Life is worth the living because we have a risen Savior. That is our hope. And that next day after the funeral, Christ was proclaimed from the front pages of the newspapers there in India. In the wake of great suffering, in the wake of great persecution, many came to Jesus from families that had rejected the gospel for years. How could Gladys possibly do that amidst all that pain, all that hurt, losing her family like that? It's because the Staines family worshiped Christ as Lord of their lives. They sanctified Christ in their hearts, and they continued to place their trust in Jesus, their hope, as they followed the Lord's calling on their lives. So yes, we may suffer for our faith. We may even die for it. But you know what? That's okay. We do not need to fear death. That's all the powers of of evil can, can do to us, right? Our enemy, the devil, he has no other ammunition. Physical death is his last move. <laughs> but that's not the end for Graham, right? That's not the end for Phil, Philip and Timothy, his sons. In fact, Graham and his kids are, are joyfully experiencing the presence of the Lord right now. Praising Jesus who triumphed death and brought them safely home to God. They have received their reward for their faithfulness. And so I want to encourage you, if if you give your life to Jesus, if you enthrone him as Lord of your life, the enemy of your soul and the world can't take that away from you. Even if they take away your possessions, they can smear your reputation, you can lose your job, They can even take away your life, but they can't take away your hope and your eternal reward that awaits you in the presence of your Savior. He is our hope in life and in death. Amen?
Amen. Worship team, would you come join me up here and let's pray together. Ah, Jesus, you are our great hope. And all of these songs of praise that we have uh, sung to, to you and for your glory this morning is a great reminder. It points us to the fact, Lord, that you are our, our firm foundation that is laid for our faith and we can be reminded of it daily in your excellent word, Lord. In Christ alone, our hope is found. You are our light, our strength, our song. No powers of hell can ever take us away from your great power and your great love, Jesus. All of history points to you. And so we sing, Alleluia, Amen. Yours is the story. Yours is the glory, Jesus. We thank you that we do not have to fear or be intimidated by a hostile world around us, Lord. That you are with us. You will never leave us. And we thank you for this great reminder, Lord, uh, that we can be bold in proclaiming the gospel in every opportunity, even, Lord, when we go through times of, of hardship, in times of suffering and persecution. We praise you and uh, we bless your name. In Jesus' name, amen.